Well, it is good to have you with us today. Uh, lots of familiar faces, some faces I haven't seen in, I think, years. Other faces I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen you before. So whether you've been here uh, for years and years or if this is your first Sunday, we are, we're so glad to have you with us. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Easter. I'm excited to talk about the resurrection. Um, uh, first, I'm going to tell you a story that has nothing to do with my sermon at all, which is probably not how you're supposed to start off a sermon. But uh, I, I remembered this last night at a flashback as I was laying in bed. Uh, I think it was the first Easter that, that it was my responsibility to preach. So there is pressure, right? Like this is, I think this is my sixth now. There's still pressure, but it's different. That first one that day, like I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I always sweat, but I sweat more that day. I go to the bathroom, I think to like towel off my face because I'm just like so hyped up and nervous. And I look and there, there's a, a piece of trash on the ground. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a pastor here. I got to like pick that up. Like I think it's like a candy wrapper, which who eats candy in the bathroom? I don't know. But um, <laughs> so there's this wrapper on the ground. I had a different pair of glasses back then, and they were really loose on my face. And I bend over the toilet. Yeah, you can see what's happening. I bend over the toilet to pick up that piece of paper, and my glasses, like, they're, they're falling straight into the toilet bowl. And it's moments like this that you realize how complex and incredible our brains are, because I'm already, I'm, in my mind, I've assumed they're going to splash, and what am I going to do? Right? Obviously, I'm going to retrieve them. That's, that's, that's not an option to just leave them there. So, but, but am I going to not preach with glasses on? Because I, I can see. It's not great, but like, I can't tell who some of you are back there. But uh, I could do that. But then I got to answer questions like, oh, what happened? Oh, my glasses fell in the toilet. That's awkward. Um, or do I wash them off, which technically I'm sure would be fine. Like hot, hot water and soap. I could put them back in my face after I was convinced that they're... But anyway, none of that happened because like a ninja, I just swiped and I, I knocked my glasses onto the counter and they did not go in toilet water. So nothing to do with John 20, but that hit me last night. Well, we're going to be in John 20. If you have a Bible, you can open up to, uh, to John 20. If you don't have a Bible and want one, we have Bibles in our, in our lobby back there. Uh, there, I think they're like a blue cover. Take it. That's our gift to you. We'd love to, to give you a Bible. But if you do have a Bible, um, open up to John 20, and we'll have uh, the, the verses up on the screen as well. And, and what I, we're going to go through all of John 20. I, I, we're going we're gonna to pause a little bit longer towards the end, verses 19 through 23, but, but I do want to take us through uh, the whole chapter. So I'm going to kind of zoom through the first 18 verses here. But it starts off in, in verses 1 and 2, and I won't read this to you. I'll just kind of tell you what happened in it. It's on the screen so you can look at it. But Mary, who, who loved Jesus, uh, she shows up really early that, that Sunday morning to the tomb, right? So early that it's still dark out. And she comes, and, and, and it's dark, but she can see, like, something's not right. The, the, the stone that was placed in front of the tomb, right, to keep it secure has been rolled away. And, and she sees that Jesus' body isn't there. And she's distraught. She wants to know what happened with Jesus' body. Where is it? And John, the author of the Gospel of John, he wants the readers to know. He wants us to understand that Mary did not assume that Jesus was alive. 
right? Her brain didn't go from, oh, the grave is empty, therefore Jesus must be alive. Jesus must have resurrected. No, she assumed that the body had been moved, perhaps even stolen. It's really easy for us to think in 2023 that hundreds of years ago, especially 2,000 years ago, uh, that, that those people were naive or, or they were uh, superstitious. They, they just easily believed uh, things that, that, that would be harder for us to believe today. And, and without knowing it, we probably presuppose that for them to believe in the resurrection is much easier than it is for us today. But John doesn't write the gospel of John that way, right? John does, John does not recount the historical figures as people who just easily believed in the resurrection. We see that in John 20, that, that the fathers did not immediately believe that Jesus was alive. And for some, it was incredibly difficult to believe. And we'll see that at the end of the chapter. And it's the same for us today. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus takes convincing, right? It, it takes looking at evidence. It takes examining the, the eyewitness accounts that we have. And, and certainly it takes faith. Just as disbelieving in the resurrection takes faith, Right? It's, in, it's, it's faith in the opposite direction, but disbelief in the resurrection takes a type of faith as well. So Mary tells Peter and, and probably John, and, and you notice there, he writes the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And pretty much everyone agrees that this is John. He refers to himself this way in his own gospel. It's kind of funny. So Mary tells Peter and, and this other disciple, a.k.a. John, the author of the gospel of John. And what do they do? They take off running for the tomb. Right, they've got to see this for themselves. I'm I'm a competitive guy. Um, I know I talked about my amazing athleticism, knocking the the glasses out of the way. I'm not that athletic. Uh, I was in that moment, but uh, but I'm a competitive guy still, right? Like even if I don't have a chance, like I I want to compete. So I just imagine myself like running with if I'm John or if I'm Peter, running with him. And even though the goal is to to get to the tomb and see, man, I want to beat him. I, I, I don't care. Like if I'm in a race or a race, if I'm running with anyone today, like I, my hope is to show I'm faster than you. It could be my eight-year-old. It could be a full-grown male or female. It doesn't matter. Like I want to try and beat you. And, and they're running and I'm not saying this was a race, um, but, uh, but if they could beat their own buddy in the process of trying to get to the tomb, why not? So verse four. Both of them were running, but the other disciple, remember this is John, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love it. I, I, he's, he lets us know the other disciple, which is him, outran Peter. It's this little disciple trash talk going on. And I can imagine John, he, he writes this, this book. Maybe he comes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, I've been working on something. And I, I want you to see this, right? It's, it's an account of everything that we saw, everything that Jesus did, and, 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 and not everything, but so much what he did and said. And, and I wrote this down. I'm wondering, would you read it for me? Maybe, maybe give me some feedback. And he hands it to him, and Peter's, Peter's reading, and he's just waiting for John 24, right? Waiting for him to get there. I, I, love, I love the competitiveness there. Maybe that's not what's going on, but that's what I imagine. So anyway, verse 5 uh, and following, they, they get to the tomb, and they find uh, nobody is there. 
the, the linens, uh, the linen cloths that Jesus was, was wrapped in, uh, they're folded up nicely and set aside. And, and what, what John, the, the author of this gospel, wants us to know is that the resurrection of Jesus was physical. Uh, I've heard uh, some people say, who uh, people that, that do not believe in the resurrection, they say, oh, yeah, there was a resurrection, but it was a spiritual resurrection. It was not physical, that Jesus uh, spiritually rose from the dead, but not his body. Well, John, one of the eyewitnesses here, he's given us this detail so that we know that the resurrection was bodily Right? Yes, it, it was spiritual too, but it was not just Jesus' spirit. He bodily rose to life. And that's a gigantic claim, and I recognize that. And you could look at this and say, well, of course John is going to write that. Right? He wants us to believe, and that is his goal in the book of John, that we would believe in the risen Christ. Right? You say, he's on the side of Christianity. He and the other disciples, they were, they were going to start the, the, the Christian religion. Of course, they would claim the resurrection. Well, what could have put all of the resurrection talk to rest was someone producing the body of Jesus. And you better believe that secular historians would have written about that. Historians like Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish man, did not convert to Christianity. But if the body had been produced, he would have written something like, yeah, the disciples had claimed that Jesus uh, resurrected, but actually a week later or, or a month later, we, we figured out the truth, right? Someone found the body, the officials put it out on display for everyone to know that Jesus did not rise from the dead, but that didn't happen, right? Secular historians didn't write that because it didn't happen. Producing the still dead body of Jesus would have ended this, but they didn't. And the gospel writers, the, the eyewitnesses, and those who meticulously interviewed eyewitnesses said Jesus was alive. Here's what Josephus actually did write about Jesus or a portion of what he wrote. He said, he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. Back to John 20, uh, verses 8 through 10. Um, then the other disciple, in, in case you forgot, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, loved John. So he reaches the tomb. He looks, he sees, right, that, that those linens are there. Mary had said the body was gone. He comes for himself to see the tomb with his own eyes. And he sees the body's gone, but the linens are there. And if you read the gospel of John, you might remember, I think it's way back in John 11, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But, but there's, a, 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 there's several differences, but there's an interesting detail that, that I missed for years and years and years until someone pointed it out to me that Lazarus, um, he's raised to life, but he's still wrapped in all of the linen burial cloths. In fact, Jesus tells people, hey, help, help get him out of those. Unwrap those cloths from his body. Jesus raises to life, and, and there's no burial cloths attached to him. His resurrected body is similar to our bodies. It was similar to Lazarus's body, but it was also different. Lazarus was raised to life, but his body was still mortal. He would later die. Jesus' resurrected body was not mortal. 
is similar to ours, but different. Those linens had nothing to do with that resurrected body. And John had not yet seen the resurrected body of Jesus, but he knows this is different, right? Jesus' body wasn't draped like Lazarus was. Something here was different. Peter and John, they go home, marveling at what they'd seen. Jesus' dead body was not held by the grave. And and John tells us that, that he then believed that Jesus had risen. Then John's gospel takes us in verse 11, verses 11 through 13 to Mary, right? She sees the angel at the tomb and she asks where the body of Jesus has been taken. She'd been grieving coming up to the third day and I'm sure all of us have lost someone we love and you remember what it's like those those days immediately following their death. All all of the emotions, all of the grief that, that just comes and goes in waves. And now Mary, in her mind, the worst had happened, right? The worst had happened on that, what we call Good Friday. Jesus was wrongly killed on the cross. And now, Sunday, she comes, and and somehow it's actually gotten worse. Jesus' body has been taken from the grave, and she was desperate. She loved him so much. He didn't deserve death. He certainly didn't deserve for his body to be stolen. So she sees this man. She assumes he's the gardener, and she asks, do you know? where the body is. Will you just tell me? I'll go get the body myself. Just let me know where it is. And what she doesn't realize is that, that this guy is Jesus. He asks, why are you weeping? And she's still so fixated on retrieving the body that she's not even interested in answering his questions. And then he calls out her name, revealing he's not the gardener. He, he is the risen Lord. He reveals himself to her and Mary cannot contain herself. She leaps over, clings to him. He instructs her to go to the disciples and tell them uh, that she has seen the risen Lord. And Mary believes. Jesus revealed himself. She sees with her own eyes and she believes. Can you imagine how incredible that would have been? And I'm sure for every person in here, no matter what you think about Jesus, you think, man, if I could have had that experience that Mary had, my faith would be increased. I, I, I I could believe John didn't see Jesus, and yet he believed. He saw the empty tomb, right? He saw the linens folded, but he didn't see Jesus himself yet. We'll get there. He saw strong evidence, and he believed. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I point out the, the difference because John, uh, John's circumstances are a lot more like our circumstances. Right? You and I don't get to see Jesus resurrected. And, and, and maybe in your mind, you're thinking, there's no way I could believe that Jesus rose from the dead without seeing him with my own eyes. And John was able to. Right? He believed before seeing Jesus with his own eyes. And for about 2,000 years, there have been people who've read the eyewitness accounts. Right? They, they've, they've, they've wrestled through it and have come to believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, that he was born of the Virgin Mary that he was fully God and fully man, that he was the only one who could substitute himself in our place, dying for our sins on that cross, and then on the third, raising from the dead. For a couple thousand years, people have come to trust in Jesus' uh, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins without seeing him. We have eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. We have, we have access to what they wrote down for us, uh, what they saw, what they experienced. Like, like Rebecca said at the beginning of the service, the call, the invitation is to believe. Right? Believe that Jesus did die for you. Believe that Jesus defeated death by raising from the dead. 
believe that, that through his death and his resurrection, we can be saved from sin, that we can be made right. We can be reconciled to God, our creator. So Mary goes and she tells the disciples that she had seen Jesus. And let's see how they're doing, picking up in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we, we get to see Jesus come to the disciples here. And what I want to focus in on just for a little bit is how he treated them. Right? When, he, when he came to them here, how, how he acted towards them, how he behaved towards them. Because we need Jesus just like the disciples did on that day. And we need to understand that, that he's the same today as he was then. And so we get this, we get this, little, uh, this little scene, this window into how, how he acted towards them in their fear and their weakness. And I want you to know this is the same way he interacts with us today. So I'll make three simple observations. The first, he comes in and the door, the door is locked and he comes in the room. Right? Their minds, their hearts were stunned by Jesus' death just days before. And, and now they've heard from Mary that Jesus had risen, right? that, that she had seen Jesus with her own eyes. They're beside themselves. Peter and John, they'd seen the empty tomb. Right? They'd seen the, the folded up linens with their own eyes. We know that John believes at this point that Jesus is alive. And the moment is, is tense, Right? Yes, it's great that Jesus rose, but where is he exactly now at this point as we're hiding here in this locked room? And if the accusations of the disciples stealing the body hadn't started yet, we know they start really soon after this. Right? Certainly, the disciples understood that they would be blamed for Jesus' grave being empty. So they're hiding. They're scared. Right? These, these men are not world beaters at this point. These men look nothing like a group that would begin a global movement. Certainly, they're discussing the possibility of Jesus being alive. Uh, I'm sure that they probably asked Peter and John a thousand questions about what they saw, and John's explaining why he believes that Jesus has risen from the dead, and then all of a sudden, there's Jesus in the room with them. Right? He came to them even with the door locked. How? I don't know except to say that Jesus can go wherever he wants. And I don't just mean through some locked door. Jesus can go anywhere he wants. In another gospel, another account, Luke 24, Jesus tells them, I'm not a ghost, right? He tells them, look at my body. Like this, this is real. Again, he had a, a resurrected body. It's like ours, but, but also different, but it was a body. He tells him, give me some food, right? To prove like he's not, it's not some hologram or, or just spirit. Like he, he wanted to show them, remember he, he's hundred percent God, hundred percent man, right? So he's, he's both like us and, and also not like us. He relates to us because he's lived in, in our shoes and yet he is not like us. But man, Jesus can go wherever, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He doesn't need a key to open any lock. He doesn't need a map. 
He doesn't make hypotheses about, about what's going on inside your heart, your mind, your body. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And, and I'm sure all of us have someone in our life that they, just, they know us in some ways better than we know ourselves, right? My wife is, is uh, that person for me, right? She, she knows better than I do how I'm going to respond to a certain situation, or, or sometimes she can identify how I feel better than I can. It's like, what's wrong with me? Um, stupid example, even at restaurants, like we'll go to a restaurant and, and we'll be looking at the menu and, and I get distracted. Like I'm talking with whoever we're with and I'm not like really dialed in. And, and she's, she's looking at the menu trying to order something for herself. And she's like, oh, Greg, look, you want this, I bet. And I look, I haven't read anything yet. And I'm like, yeah, you nailed it. And I don't have to look anymore, right? Like I know my wife got it. She, she got it right. And then she's got to figure out what she wants to order still. Um, but man, it, it, as good as she knows me or, or as good as your, your best friend knows you or your roommate or your spouse, or your family member, right? There are all kinds of places in you that they cannot get to. Not, be, not even because you're not willing to let them know that's probably true too. And Jesus can go, wherever he wants, right? He can go where no psychologist can go as smart as they are. He can go where, where no doctor can go. And medical professionals, I know there's several of you in the room, this isn't fair to you. But as patients, we think that when we walk into that room, you know exactly what's wrong with us. And intellectually, we know that, that, that that's not always going to be true. But we're surprised when you don't know. When I was in college, this is year 2000, October, um, I was feeling pretty sick, sick enough for me to go see my doctor. Normally, I'd just try and tough it out because um, uh, I didn't want to pay my copay or whatever. But, but I, I think I had a fever, I had a headache, like uh, my neck hurt. I don't think I'd eaten for a couple days. My back hurt. So my doctor comes into the examining room and he, you know, asks all the normal questions and does, you know, he's listening to me breathe, listening to my heart. I don't remember what else, but all the things that they do. Um, he, was, he was doing them all. And, and then he leaves the room for a while um, and, and he left the door ajar. And I heard him on the phone talking with, uh, with someone else, I think another doctor. And it became clear to me after a little bit that he was talking about me. And then I heard him say, I don't know what's wrong with him. And that got me a little spooked. And, and then minutes later, he comes back in and he asks if I can get a ride to the hospital. I'm like, oh, what? And, and then he lists off all these tests that he's going to run on me, right? And, and it was like five or six, but I only remember the last one because he said, and a spinal tap. And I'm like, I don't know anything about spinal taps, but I just heard about this long, crazy needle. I don't even know if that's true, but I was nervous. And, and I go to the hospital. I spent like the next four or five days there. It was, uh, it was during the election too, the, the hanging Chad election, if you're old enough to remember that, right? So I didn't get to vote. It was the first one I could have voted for and I didn't get to vote. Anyway, so I'm there. They run all this blood work, all these tests. They didn't do a spinal tap, which I'm super grateful for. Um, and, and on the fourth or fifth morning, the doctor that'd been working with me comes in. He says, Greg, we don't know what's wrong. Uh, we could keep running tests and he lists off all these other tests and ways that they could like prick me. And, and, and I, I said, I'm actually feeling a lot better. Um, what do you think about me just going? And, 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 and he said, we can't make you stay. And 
I don't know if we'll figure out what's going on even with these tests. So we had agreement, we parted ways, right? We, we can't always figure out what, what is going on with us, uh, right? As, as, as brilliant as, as the medical community is, they can't always figure out what ails us. And Jesus can go where no one else can go. But just as he came into the locked room, he, he comes to us. Even when we put up barricades, right? Even when we try to lock ourselves in, in, in some kind of impenetrable fort, Jesus isn't baffled by us. He doesn't hypothesize about what we might need. He doesn't order a battery of tests hoping that he can somehow figure out what our problems are. He comes to us as the only one who not only knows our needs, but can meet all of those needs. Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is not limited. Even when we try to hide, we are not hidden from Jesus. He, he knows us fully, fully, and he still loves us. How many people would love you if they knew everything about you? Your mom, right? Maybe, hopefully, some of your other family members as well, but maybe not even all of them. And, and yet Jesus knows you and he loves you. The author of Hebrews says that there's nothing hidden from his sight. And he says, it, he says it's like, it's like we're, we're naked and exposed, no ability to hide from Jesus, and yet he still loves us. Right? He, he went to the cross, he died for you, knowing you before you existed and still loves you. And that's remarkable. Jesus, he can go wherever he desires. Second observation, he comes to them when they're, when they're frightened, they're freaked out. And as, as I said, I think a little bit earlier, it makes sense that they were frightened, right? They're, 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 uh, their hero had died three days before. The Jewish officials had remembered that Jesus mentioned this resurrection. So they placed the guards there. They, they'd sealed the tomb with this heavy stone. And now the stone was gone. And people were saying he had risen. At least Peter and John had seen the empty tomb by this point, right? They'd heard from Mary that she'd seen Jesus with her own eyes. She'd spoken with Jesus herself, but they hadn't seen yet, and they're afraid. They're afraid of, of what people are going to do to them. What are, what are the Jewish rulers going to do? So they lock themselves in, right? That's, that's, that's the setting when Jesus enters and he comes to them, not when they're strong, Right? Not when they were confident, not, not when they were uh, at the top of their A-game. He comes to them as they're hiding away in this room, scared to death. The gospel is so different than how we think. All right? We think that we should have it all together. Right? This is how we approach like a job interview. Right? You dress up, probably better than you dress normally. You have your resume that lists off all your accomplishments. You're ready for whatever question they ask you, including like, what's your greatest weakness? And you say something like, man, my greatest weakness is how dedicated I am to the company I work for. <laughs> okay. Um, right? That, that's how we approach it. We approach dating the same way. We're kind of trying to trick that person into thinking we're at least a little better than we are. When, when we go to ask Parents, for permission to marry their daughter, you, you get your speech all ready to show that you're worthy. So it, it makes sense that, that, that when we think of the gospel, when we think of Jesus, that, that we would we'd think we need to come to him the same way, that I need to clean up my act before I can come to him, that we need to get our lives straight, and then we come to Jesus. I need to kick that habit. I need to, I need to stop doing that thing that I know is sin before I can come to Jesus. But the truth is, we can't even come to Jesus on our own. We needed him to come to us. 
The disciples needed Jesus to find them in that locked room, and we're no different. We needed Jesus to take on flesh. The disciples that day needed Jesus to come in the midst of their fear. Jesus, who comes to us, he pursues us. And he doesn't come to us because you have it all together. Right? He doesn't pursue you because you have a ton to offer the risen King Jesus. No, he comes to us in our weakness. In that locked room, Jesus came to them as they're saturated in fear. Another gospel, uh, Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 31 Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, some of you may not relate to being fearful like the disciples, but I do. I wouldn't label myself as a really fearful person, but there are certainly times where I am afraid. I find myself afraid, and I cannot count the number of times that Jesus has met me in my fear. He's met me in my trembling. And again, maybe, maybe that's not you, right? Maybe you're not afraid, but I'm sure that you recognize that you are weak. There are areas in you that are so broken. And we work really hard to avoid showing our brokenness to others, but we all are. And our brokenness surfaces in, in different ways. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is ready to meet your brokenness, your fear, your sin, your darkness. And maybe like the disciples, you've locked yourself behind a door. You'd love to get out, but you aren't even sure how at this point. And Jesus comes to you, the one who paid for sin. He's there ready to free you. You just need to believe in him. Third observation, he stood right among them. Right? He came right into their midst. Jesus is not distant. He could have, he could have called through the door or, or, or perhaps through a window. He could have sent a messenger, right? Earlier he sent Mary to them. He could have done that again, but he came right to them. And, and we see this from God, right? From the very first page in Genesis all the way to the last in Revelation, this theme that runs throughout scripture that God wants to be with his people, that he puts himself right in the midst of his people. You might perceive God as being this, this distant being. I, I think of Star Wars. I'm not like a giant Star Wars fan. I've seen every movie, um, but I, I don't know the details like all my kids do. It's crazy. Um, but if you aren't familiar with uh, the, the story, it's, it's this classic good versus evil story. And, and, and true Star Wars fans, I'm probably going to say something wrong here. Just I'm making a point. Um, so the good side specifically, they have what's called the force, right? The Jedi have the force and the force is absolutely necessary for them to overcome evil. And the force is, is, is it's in everything, right? It's in everything they do. It's this power that they depend on, but there's nothing that's loving about the force. The force isn't uh, relational, right? Certainly they're grateful for the force, but uh, you boil it down. It's just a power to help them, to help them win. God is not that way. Right? Is he powerful? Oh, yes, certainly. Right? But he's more than power. He's our creator. He cares for us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. And Jesus made the way to be with us through the cross. Through the cross, he, he takes care of sin so that anyone who believes that Jesus is the Savior from sin can be with him for eternity. So God has come to us by his son Jesus so that we can be with him forever. 
He, he did it that day in the locked room with the disciples. He wanted to be with them. He wants that today with you and me. How he acts towards them, like what, what we get to see in just this, these few verses, Jesus is the same today. Right? He can go where no one else can go. He, he's ready to get past all your sophisticated locks. He meets you in your weakness, your brokenness, your fear, and he desires to be with you. He, he, says, he says three different things here. I, I'm going to look at just one thing that he says in these verses. Two times he says, peace be with you. All right, my guess is, that if they had imagined Jesus, the first time they saw Jesus after, after his death and resurrection, they, didn't, they would not expect him to say, peace be with you. Right? He, he didn't chastise them for hiding. He didn't ask them why they all ran away. He didn't get on them for forgetting that he said he would raise from the dead. He didn't rail on them for doubting. Have you ever walked into a situation with, with your tail between your legs, just knowing that, that truly you deserve a tongue lashing? only to be surprised by the response of the other person. I'm, uh, I'm not the best parent like in the moment when my kids do something shocking, right, or bad. Um, I, think, I think outside of parenting, I'm a, I'm a fairly patient person, but uh, my kids can tell you, I, I can overreact at times when they misbehave. I love it on those few rare times when God gives me what I need to surprise them when they've totally messed up, right? And, and they, they expect that I'm going to yell or something. Oh, I love it when God gives me grace and, and, and peace to surprise them with. Again, the gospel operates differently than, than what we expect. Our inclination would be that we need to somehow initiate peace with him. Right? We've offended him, so we need to get some kind of gift to him to appease him. But he is the one who initiates peace with us. Right? He is the gift to appease God's appropriate response to sin. Jesus is the one who makes peace with us. Ephesians uh, 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the, the hostility, right? The conflict between us and God. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And, and we look at verse 20, right? The first time he says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side right after that. Right? The cross is, is wretched, and yet that's how he brings peace and we all long for peace, right? We all know what it's like to have conflict with others. We all, it, we feel conflict even within, within ourselves. We're shocked by what we're capable of, right? At, at times, maybe we hate ourselves for, for things that we have done or, or thoughts that we've had, right? We're, we're dismayed that we could even behave in certain ways. We also see conflict in the world, around us and, and not just like on the other side of the globe, but even in our own communities, maybe even in our own families. Jesus is the one who brings peace. And here's just a few areas that Jesus brings peace to. And I'm sure there's many more, but Jesus brings peace. He brings eternal peace between us and him, right? He, he reconciles us to himself, to God, for those who place their faith in him. And faith in Jesus means that, that Jesus is not your judge. 
He's your savior. He brings peace with others who are in Christ, right? With other brothers and sisters in Christ. He brings peace within ourselves. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What is better than a pure conscience? The blood of Christ purifies us. He brings peace to our own souls. And I'm sure all of us at one time have been guilt-ridden. And maybe, maybe even today you're here guilt-ridden. And maybe it's been so bad that you thought, I could never forgive myself for doing that. And Jesus is ready to forgive you. He's ready to bring peace to your soul. He's the only one that can heal you. And I'm not saying there won't still be consequences or pain for what you've done. But, but Jesus has taken care of the penalty for your sin and he's ready to bring healing to you. The, the, the next thing in the chapter is Thomas and, and we've labeled him Doubting Thomas. My guess is probably everyone's heard of Doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't there um, uh, when Jesus came through the locked door. He, he heard, uh, and this is, uh, this is verse 24 and following. He heard, but he said, I won't believe unless I see the nail marks and, and touch the nail marks, right? Unless I see where his hands were pierced and, and, and place my finger in his side. And then verse 26, Thomas is there. And Jesus comes again through locked doors, stands among them. He says, peace be with you. Verse 27, he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. And maybe you, maybe you feel like you relate to Thomas, right? Just not ready to believe. I want to show you a, a painting that um, actually I don't even remember who did it. But, but there's Jesus, and you can see Thomas is touching his side, but, but Jesus, he's like, he's putting his hand there, right? Like he's, he's not just saying, yeah, if you want to come, come touch this mark. No, he's like pulling him there. And Jesus is urging us to believe, right? Do not disbelieve, but believe. I think for some of you, maybe this is the only time you come to church. Man, that's what he's doing today is he's saying, believe in me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we love you, Lord. God, I thank you that we could come and celebrate singing, singing songs of praise and joy to you today. I thank you that we can come and, and read one of the accounts of the resurrection. Lord, I thank you that, that you come and, and you meet us where we are in our brokenness, in our fear, in our weakness. God, I, I do believe that scripture shows that you, you want to be with us so much so, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. And you, you, you invite us, you call us to believe, to place our faith in you. God, I pray that we would do that. Lord, that, that all of us would grow in our faith. I pray for people that, that are like Thomas. God, would you help them to believe? I pray for people that have been coming to church for their whole lives and do believe. God, would you, would you continue to help us to believe in you? Would we be a people that are eager to talk about the reality of Jesus, the risen Savior, the only one who forgives sins, the reconciler of the world. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.